Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, March 2, 2022, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello, day 408 of the Biden-Harris administration, 249 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska, Twitter, BobSeska underscore go. Okay, Travis Bone, the executive producer of The Stephanie Miller Show, returns to the podcast today, and... You know what that means. Time for another nerdgasm, of course. We're going to get into all the latest news from the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe, the Star Wars Universe, and a whole lot more. We're also going to discuss the State of the Union and the crisis in Ukraine. This is a longer show than usual, only because I think Travis and I don't really have anyone else we can talk to about all these things. In fact, I'm going to say some things today I've never spoken out loud to another human being ever. It's not that salacious or anything like that. It's just comic book movies. So stick around, especially if you're a fellow nerd. Meantime, if you like what you hear today, think about signing up for our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, here comes me and Travis. Bob Seska plays more music. Well, what did you think of the State of the Union? I, you know, it was fine. I mean, it was it was great. Like, I thought he hit on all the points. I love the fact that he focused on kind of being a unifier yeah. in that speech. That was um, it was nice. It was just nice to hear and to see Republicans stand and clap when they could. I mean, I noticed they didn't stand and clap for jobs. Mm-hmm. I know when he talked about you know creating six million new jobs. I know they didn't. Um, they weren't so enthusiastic about the um, Medicare negotiations. Yeah. Or, um, for drug costs. But, you know, there were a lot of points where they did stand up and cheer and that, you know, mm-hmm. we need some more of that, you know, if they yeah. can work together. And, and it's like, I think it was his four points there at the end, opioids, um, you know, the veterans. Um, I'm trying to remember the other, the other two now. Yeah. I, there it was there, some bridge building going on there, at least, at least it's stuff that Republicans say they want. And if they don't yeah. end up not going along with it, then they're just assholes. 
I was satisfied with the tone of it. I was satisfied with the yeah. fact that he wasn't going to turn this into a, uh, a list of grievances like Donald Trump and start naming all the shitty Republican things that he doesn't like, which we're all yeah. aware of. I mean, we, we know what they we are, know it. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm coming at this from the perspective of choose one thing or the other, either reach out or go for the jugular to kind yeah. of mix your metaphor, so to speak sometimes ends up failing. And there was that one awkward moment before he started talking about the American Rescue Plan. He mentioned the uh, the Trump tax cut bill. Yeah. And it was a really awkward moment where Chuck Schumer didn't know when to stand oh, up or he stood the up to up, sit down. And- yeah, yeah. And, and the good news is that kind of stepped on whatever it was Joe Biden was saying about the tax cut. But he was hitting the yeah. Republicans on the tax cut. And I felt like, OK, well, that's fine in the context of a, a broader speech in which we're going to attack Republican policies. But in the context of this, where it was very obvious he was trying to set out a, a more gregarious tone with it, either do that or just go for the jugular. It seemed out of place. And that was the I mean, really, literally the only criticism I had was that kind of really awkward moment. It just didn't play, did it? It didn't. But I think at the same time, I think that's one of those things that like if you look at like a, the more populist ideas and the like the getting rid of the tax cuts for the rich and giving it back to the middle class yeah. is something I think plays bipartisan across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, Republicans, obviously the ones in, that are in Congress aren't going to support that because it's their donor class that he's going to be hitting with the, with yeah. those taxes. Yeah. But um, so I, I, I think it was a, a fair thing for him to take that swipe at it publicly mm-hmm. because people at home heard that. Yeah, and they yeah. also saw who was in favor of it and who wasn't in favor of it. And I, so, in that regards, I, I do think it worked. I do understand what you're saying, though, about you know that was that was a swipe at the Republicans in the room, but it was to remind people that he's on the side of the little guy or the middle class. Yeah, yeah, which I appreciate. And it really stuck to the wall too. The speech overall, I think people responded to it very, very well. In fact, I think a yeah. lot of people were acutely reminded why they voted for Joe Biden in the first place after Definitely. you know a little more than a year after his inauguration. I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, that's right, Joe Biden's president." Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, now I remember why I voted for him. He's kind of a decent guy, isn't he? That's that's that, at the end of the day, that's what he is. And I think yeah. that's that's also why there's that, there's been so much blowback against uh, Bobert and um, Marjorie Three Toes. <laughs> that was a dumb fucking thing to do. Right before he's about wow. to talk about his son dying of glioblastoma, possibly yeah. because of his service to his country in battle unbelievably tone deaf and awful, even for those two rat bastards. I mean, talk about, you know, obviously they're part of the rodeo clown caucus, but good God, pick your spot a little better. Not at that kind of moment. And so, you know what, in a sense, I'm glad they did that because it really underscored how truly awful they are on the international stage now illustrated right there. And their own people booed them, which makes me happy. Oh, were there Republican boos for them? Republicans, really? Republicans reacted to that as well. So that's that. Oh. That to me says like, stay in your lane, girls. Yeah, exactly. Well, what sh- a- I'm sorry, I should not. I should not call them girls. I should not infantilize them <laughs> like that. But Clowns. you know what? 
how about stay in your lane, bitches? <laughs> stay in your lane, clowns. I think that's clowns. the best way to go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, since when does a clown car stay in its lane? <laughs> that's true. They just, they drive in circles. They sometimes spin around like a, uh, like a bumper car. Not knowing. This is where, where you insert your, your Darth Vader clown car music. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Well, going back to what he was saying about Bo Biden, too, uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those things, announcing a cure for cancer uh, has been historically known as like a Hail Mary pass. Like, yeah. we're going to we're gonna do this when our poll numbers are low to see if we can reinvigorate our you know popularity or whatever. And in fact, there was an episode of The West Wing where President Bartlett contemplates announcing, you know, a moonshot for a, a cancer cure when he's, you know, behind the eight ball in politics, right? His poll numbers are down. He's just scandals, or I I forget exactly what the scandal was. Well, let's announce a cure for cancer. That'll solve things. But I got to say, I don't get that from Joe Biden. I don't get that level of cynicism from him because it has hit him so personally with the loss of his son. And, And so in that respect, I don't think this is about poll numbers. No, I'm well, I think at the end of the day, too, cancer is something that's so personal for everyone. I, I can't I, I don't know anyone who hasn't had cancer touch their life in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we just we just lost a friend who was not even 45 years old, to colon cancer. Oh, my God. Um, you know, my, my my grandfather died of lung cancer. My dad, mm. uh, he also died of uh, colon cancer. Wow. You know, so, so it's one of those things. It's like I feel like that's some, again, it's something that everyone can get behind mm-hmm. and you know, we can, if we can be united on this. And like you said, this is a personal thing for him. And it's, that's one thing that Joe Biden is really good at is making something personal and letting mm-hmm. it, it just comes across as feeling sincere and honest and from the heart. Yeah. Um, and I, j- just to contrast that compared to that, um, that response from mm-hmm. the, the GOP afterwards yeah. just felt like a laundry list that she was reading. Like she probably hadn't read that speech before yeah. they put in the teleprompter for her. And, you know, I've been following Joe Biden since the 1980s. I started to get interested in politics in terms of a possible career move and not necessarily being in politics as a candidate, but certainly covering it uh, professionally. And, uh, you know, in the late 80s, Joe Biden was a big deal. Ran for president in 1988, famously enough. He's never been a slick operator when it came to speech making. He's really good at like delivering a zinger or something like that, which we all remember from the 2008 debates where he said the thing about Rudy Giuliani and now in a verb and 9 11. That's the kind of stuff that Joe Biden's good at. I don't think anyone voted for Joe Biden in 2020 because they thought he was some grand speechifier. I think everyone yeah. supports Joe Biden because, as we were saying before, he's just a decent guy. He seems honest. He seems like he's empathetic. These are important values, I think, to have in a, in a presidential candidate, certainly in a president. And so uh, to start to pick apart, you know, some of the gaffes, some of the stumbles, which there were quite a few. Let's be honest I mean, the, about the it. The Iranian people. <laughs> the Iranian people. That was one that I heard. That was the one that like really got. Yeah, there, there were some where you could tell he 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 stumbled through it and he messed up. Yeah. But we, we know that about Joe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I mentioned this to you last time um, we talked, but one thing that drives me absolutely bonkers is, um, do you use Graben, the clip service? Uh, no, no, I don't. So Graben is a clip service that we use. And I think I talked about this a little bit last time. They um, Anyone can go in there and clip file or clip audio and it gets posted into this like database. It's searchable. It's like got transcripts. So you can look for keywords, wow. all kinds of stuff. But whenever Joe Biden gives a speech, 
there's inevitably you can tell that the right wingers really go all in on gradient because they will post Joe Biden stumbles trying to say this. Joe Biden forgets the name of his ambassador. Ugh. Joe Biden does. And it's just like, oh, we get it. And it's like you and I don't even have to watch Fox News to know what the narrative is. I know that, oh, they're going to play a montage of these clips. Yeah. Of what Joe Biden said or what, like any stumble. And, you know, and, you know, granted, we did that with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But also that's because Donald Trump was like, a bully. slurred his yeah. slurred his words and picked on people with stutters. And and he's just a fucking idiot. Let's yeah. just say it. Yeah. Well, that's right. To to me, criticizing the way Donald Trump would speak was all about, and this goes all the way down to God bless the United States and all that crap. Yes. Um, That was mainly driven by the fact that Donald Trump is and will always be an unforgivable bully. The fact that he Mm -hmm. goes after everyone, literally everyone, in the most ad hominem way possible, and then places himself up on this a pedestal of perfection. Like I, I am the greatest in the world. No one can compare to me. Everything from my stakes to my family, to my presidency, to everything is the greatest in the world. That just invites criticism. You Mm -hmm. want to tear down an asshole like that. Yeah. Bully like that for sure. Exactly. And there was nothing else that was redeemable about him. Joe Biden. Yeah. You know what? The guy fucking stumbles. He's been stumbling uh, in political speeches for 50 fucking years. But we like him because he's got all of these other positive qualities that uh, sort of do all the heavy lifting for him as a senator, as a presidential candidate, and now as, as president. So that's, that's the big difference between someone like Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I also, I've, I forgive Joe a little on some of that, too, because we do know that he has a stutter. Yeah, right. And I feel like a lot of times in his speeches, things are written to try to get around that stutter. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't always work. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not a foolproof thing for him. So I, a lot of times when he does stumble on those words, I can tell that that's part of it is his stutter creeping in mm-hmm. and him fighting it. And it's like, yeah. there's something humanizing too about that, seeing someone struggle with that. And that was like that great moment with him and the um, the little boy during the, um, oh, yeah, I think it was yeah. during the primaries. I can't yeah. remember the kid's name now. Yeah, neither do I. I don't remember he, the he, talked to, he talked to that, he talked to that little kid about his stutter. Yeah. And it's like, but that's, that's like a humanizing thing for Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. And on the other side like to pick on it. it. Yeah, right, right. And Joe is also folksy on top of all the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, which actually created some issues for him at the very end when he said, go get him. And then suddenly, suddenly all of Twitter erupts. It's like, is he calling out Vladimir Putin? Did he just say, go get him? I was like, I thought that was a well-known colloquialism, like, yeah, like up and at him, you know, things like yeah, that, go get him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, go get them, like go off now and make these laws that I've called for, uh, yeah. pass these bills that I'm uh, supporting. I thought that's exactly what he was talking about. And I'm well aware of the colloquialism of go get em. And yeah. uh, I think it confused some people because the way he said it may have sounded like go get him, but him? It's, the, it's, yeah. the, it's the same thing. It's kind of a soft H at the front. and Right. And it's also, it's like, if that's, if that's the most you've got to throw at him. <laughs> I know. No kidding. If you got go get him and Iranian people. Yeah. And I think there was, there's one other moment where he, um, it was the, the rust belt. When he was talking about the Rust Belt, they used to call it the Rust Belt, and now they're not going to call it the Rust Belt anymore. And it felt like there was something he was going to put in there, and he couldn't get it out. Oh yeah, yeah. And he kind of like circled around it for a second, and then moved on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there but were- those are like the three moments to me that were like, 
gaffes, but at the same time, it wasn't like he got up there and flung poo like Donald Trump did for oh, yeah, know, an hour yeah. and a half. And look, look, I've got tape of Kevin McCarthy. Oh, and, yeah. And you talk about there are gaffes and there are uh, pathologies, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and whatever happened to Kevin McCarthy in this series of tapes, I don't know, maybe from 10 years ago or something like that, where it was almost like he was suffering from aphasia or something like that, where he was reversing words and jumbling things around and saying, you know, things like hungrier instead of hungry. And it was just a, a disaster. And yeah. that, to me, something like that, where he's sequentially saying a series of things in which all the words are being scrambled around, to me indicates something that's a problem, as opposed to gaffes, which happen to literally everyone in, in politics. Yeah. Okay. My biggest thing with Kevin McCarthy is he just, he sounds like a whining baby. <laughs> Everything yeah. he says, and I took to like, on Twitter, um, from the Loki series, he kept calling the, the term mewling quim, <laughs> which is um, slang yeah. for a crying vagina. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And that just like every time Kevin McCarthy talks or complains or whines about something, it is like the definition of what a mewling quim sounds like to me. <laughs> there, there was a clip of him last night uh, on the floor of the house chamber in which he was like talking to himself. And yeah. then I think he realized he was on camera. So the talking to himself transformed into relentless lip licking. Like he was like, mm. he's got to like suddenly moisten his mouth to make it seem like, oh, yes. No, I wasn't talking to myself. I was just uh, my mouth was feeling dry. So that's why I'm doing this. So that's even more awkward. <laughs> yeah. He's just a weird dude. And he's from he Bakersfield. Is. So that explains a lot. Oh, I mean, right. people from yeah. Fresno like to pick on people from Bakersfield. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. It's the only one worse than us in the state. Right, right. Well, actually, speaking of gaffes, I don't know if you would even call this a gaffe. Is Putin failing badly or is this just the prelude to another shoe dropping in uh, Ukraine right now? I don't know. I Like right now, to me, all I can think of is like Putin is like that scene of Hitler in the bunker. Yeah. Where he's like yelling at all of his generals right now because, mm-hmm. I mean, like let's like we talked about a little bit this morning on the show, but like somebody within the Soviet defense ministry or Russian defense ministry alerted Ukraine that there was a kill squad coming to assassinate um, um, Zelensky. Yeah. And they, they stopped them. You know, these Russian soldiers who are punching holes in their own gas tanks so they don't have to go fight. Right. You know, it, it seems to me like Putin is like spiraling out of control. Mm Mm-hmm. Or like he's lost control of the situation, like yeah. you know, the, the, from sitting at these weird long tables with everyone at the opposite end and all of that stuff. Um, I I don't know where he is at mentally, and that's the scary thing with Putin. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I I don't I also don't think I think we may have overestimated what the Russian military could do. I mean, this is the first yeah. time they've really been tested on anything in how long? Yeah, quite a while. Uh, since what? Uh, uh, Chechnya. Yeah, it's really weird. And maybe this is just the way I'm wired, Travis, because, you know, look, if I am walking down the sidewalk and I see a hundred dollar bill laying there, my first thought is, all right, is this a trick? Is there like a hidden camera somewhere near here? Is there Mm -hmm. like a fishing line attached to this? I'm going to go making an ass of myself chasing this hundred dollar bill down the street. My first instinct is always for suspicion. And 
is Vladimir Putin doing this strategically to kind of give, uh, you know, everyone a false sense of security? And I'm saying that in a relative sense. I mean, obviously, there's been horrendous loss of life so far. It, this is not an enviable situation to be in. But in that context, um, I, I feel like there may be that maybe this is going a little bit too easily and it's too good to be true. You know what I mean? I, I, I get what you're saying, but I also don't because to me, Putin is being humiliated right now. Yeah. By this little comedian <laughs> in Ukraine, who's like literally, you know, in the trenches having coffee with the guys who are fighting. And then you cut to Putin again in these big, huge halls with, you know, long tables sitting by himself. You know, everyone's like on the other side of the room from him. I mean, it j- just to contrast those two, it makes Putin look pathetic and weak. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't think he would tolerate, you know, looking this way or projecting this. I, it's funny. I talked to a, um, a guy at the gym who is he's um, he's Russian. Um, grew up in Russia. He lives here now, but he speaks Russian and Ukrainian. And he's been watching the news from both Russia and Ukraine, mm-hmm. Ukraine, just to kind of get an idea of what's going on. And he was talking about how disturbing it was and how, how upset he was. And he was saying that's like, these guys that are in the military, he's like, they're from like suburbia uh, or um, Siberia. They, they, their families don't know what they're doing. They're the poorest of the poor people who are conscripted into this. Um, and then if they're not like already criminals or someone who's serving time to be there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, th- th- these aren't like, you know, elite soldiers. These are kids who are poor, who had nothing going for them. And this is their only way out. They pop, like you said, they probably haven't been trained very well. Yeah. You know, it, so I, I think that I don't, I don't, I could not imagine Trump putting himself or not Trump. I'm sorry. Putin. <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm, I'm doing that every damn real, day. Real easy slip there. <laughs> I couldn't imagine Putin putting himself in that position mm-hmm. to be humiliated on the world stage. And then to see how the, 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 the global community has come out so strong against him. Yeah. I mean, even his closest allies are like, whoa, yeah. you know, you step too far. And I'd like to think that this will continue to go this way, where Vladimir Putin and his military will continue to be pantsed by Ukraine and obviously by proxy, the international community. But I'm concerned that suddenly we're going to wake up and the real war, the real invasion will have begun. And again, I say that I don't mean that this has been unreal. I mean that it has been relatively easy for Ukraine to stop this uh, army from uh, attacking and taking over the nation. So uh, in that sense, I'm just, I continue to be concerned that uh, (laughs) there's still some other thing that's waiting around the corner. Uh, I'm not willing to count Putin out just yet. His, Yeah. uh, yeah, as I've been saying, his cheese has slipped off his cracker, but th- that doesn't mean he's no longer Machiavellian. And as we've seen, well, Vladimir Putin can be quite Machiavellian. Yeah. And it, well, and also it's like the weird analogy I keep drawing in my head. And I'm not a, I'm not a history expert on this, but like part of the way we beat the British in the revolutionary war was that the British all lined up in columns and like, you know, shot, fire, shot, fire, shot, fire. Well, we use guerrilla tactics yeah. Yeah. to take them. And like we were talking with Malcolm on the show this morning, Malcolm Nance. And he was saying, he's like, these convoys that are not moving are lined up on like these major roads. Mm-hmm. He's like, and that's all they control are these major roads, but all of the, the land on either side of the road and the villages and the stuff 
around them, they have zero control over. And the Ukrainian military knows the knows the land. They know strategically how to do things. They can just come and hit them from the sides when they're sitting there not moving. Yeah. They can go. They, you know, it's it, it, just technically the way he's doing stuff doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And you know, now that he's like started firing missiles into you know population centers and you know, like um, was it Freedom Square and the the second largest city? I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head right now. Yeah, but just the fact that that's what he's having to resort to because nothing else is working. That, that sends a signal to me that he's, I, I don't know what other cards he has to play other than God forbid, he says the nuclear. All right. On the Armageddon note, back with more show right after these words. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bob Seska! All-time favorites all day long! Okay, now that we've scared the shit out of everyone... Let's talk about the real topics. The, the, the real topics? Yeah, the real topics. The real evil geniuses and bad guys? <laughs> yes. Now that we've had dinner, it's time for dessert, goddammit. Yes. Uh, let's talk about Peacemaker and the Suicide Squad. Okay. Um, I'm all in. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to get your take on James Gunn's approach to uh, the DCEU. Uh, but I, I'll preface by saying that I think Gunn's hard R style maybe could be the template for the DCEU moving forward. I mean, it doesn't mean it should all be as raunchy, but I like the more adult tone. Something to right. set it apart. One of the things I liked about the Snyderverse is that it set the DC universe apart from the Marvel universe. Not that one is better than the other, but I like the differing tones. I like yeah. the uh, the fact that you're not going to get just a copycat of the Marvel universe on the DC yeah. side and, and vice versa for that matter. But what right. do you think of that? I mean, can gun style fit with like Wonder Woman's storyline or the Flash? Uh, is that something that could work? Or are we going to basically now see a DC extended universe that is all over the place in terms of tone? Well, you know, I first of all, I just want to say, like, preface it like. I enjoyed Suicide Squad. I didn't. I didn't think it was like the end all be all of movies, but I thought mm-hmm. it was in a, a step in the right direction. Yeah. For um for DC and James Gunn, it it was so in his wheelhouse. It was so mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. Um and Peacemaker, I, I completely honest, I was not that interested in the show when they announced it. I was like, why do I care yeah. about this bad guy? <laughs> right. What you know? What's <laughs> he was kind of a dick and an asshole in the movie. Mm. I, I don't really get why I should be concerned with him, why I should care about him. And, um, but I gave the series a shot and I actually had to watch the pilot twice. Cause I, the, the first time I tried to watch it, I was, it was just a Friday. I was exhausted and I fell asleep. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I wake up, there's a naked woman screaming and throwing him through walls. I was like, Whoa, what's yeah. just happened? That changed quickly. Yeah. 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 Um, so, but then I went back and rewatched, uh, the first episode and the second episode. And by the end of the second episode, I'm like, I get it. I'm into it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I, I loved Peacemaker. It was probably one yeah. of my favorite, you know, in recent history is probably one of my most favorite things I've watched. Just oh, it, yeah. was, it was so much fun and it was so unique. Um, 
John Cena's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie Stroma, who plays Vigilante, I've liked him for years. Yeah. Um, and I thought he was awesome. I just, I thought the entire cast was incredible. And they, th- th- what they did was uh, some friends of mine on their podcast, they were talking about it. And I get, I get this and I'm going to paraphrase what they said, but they took a character that was unlikable from um, Suicide Squad. Yeah. And they threw him into a team with a bunch of people who didn't like him. <laughs> exactly. They all were like, who's this asshole? Why are we working with this asshole? He's terrible. He mm-hmm. is the worst. He's the, he's not even a good bad guy. He's so bad. They all, you know, they all kind of hated him. And as we were falling in love with him as a character, his team was falling in love with him as a character. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the team was reacting like the audience was to him. And as you begin to understand him and him wanting to be a better person and you realize, well, the way he, the reason he's so fucked up is because he came from a re- even more fucked up, you know, family. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. so I, so in that regards, I, I, I just want to say, I really like Peacemaker. Um, as far as like the idea of James gunning the, the DC universe, I would love it if they were able to find a way to do, this is different than what Marvel did, but what Marvel what Marvel really focused on with theirs was it was like, you know, the Captain America ones are going to be like the more the paranoid, um, you know, thrillers of the 70s, the the political thriller type feel to it. And like Iron Man was going to be like the techno ones. And, the, you know, Thor was going to be more of these like space opera things, which they finally like clicked into with um, uh, Ragnarok. With Ragnarok. Yeah. Like they kind of like each of the Marvel movies was their own genre. Mm-hmm. If you're able to find, you know, strong voices and strong directors in the DC universe, which I don't think that they've quite locked into yet. Like James Gunn is definitely good for this, this, this corner of the universe that he is working in. Mm -hmm. And if you can find someone who can, you know, we'll see what happens with, um, you know, the flash coming out later this year, um, you know, all signs point towards the Batman being um, a solid first out the gate. Yeah. Now, if they're able to like lay the groundwork or drop the seeds for these to all exist in the same universe, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I don't know if we're there yet. I, I, I noticed that um, at the end of Peacemaker, when they had the cameos of some of the Justice League members. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they said that they they I they said they originally filmed that, and Batman and Cyborg were in that shot too, mm-hmm. and they got pulled. And I'm wondering if part of that has to do with the new Batman movie that's coming out this week. I think it does. I I think a lot of that does have to do with that. I think there are a couple of reasons. I mean, there's one specific reason for Cyborg, which is Ray Fisher's yes. very public battle against Warner Brothers over Joss Whedon and the nightmare mm-hmm. that was the uh, Justice League. Pickups with uh, Joss yeah. Whedon, which don't get me started on that. That was a fucking travesty. That whole yeah. bit. So that I think uh, had to do a lot to do with Ray Fisher not appearing or Cyborg getting deleted from that scene. And then as far as Batman goes, there is this Flash movie coming up uh, with Ben Affleck's Batman in that starting out, and then based on you know some of the plot leaks that have come out, Flash goes back in time changes the timeline, kicks off yeah. the DC multiverse, and uh, because of the Flash meddling with time, Batman changes from Ben Affleck's Batman to Michael Keaton's, you know, uh, Tim Burton-verse Batman. 
and, in the future. Okay. Yeah. I imagine this is set. I imagine Peacemaker, the finale in particular, is set before the events of The Flash. First of all, because The Flash had his uh, Snyderverse uniform. Uh, Superman was in it. And I think what's going to happen in The Flash is Henry Cavill's Superman is going to be replaced by Supergirl. And um, that's going to be the DC universe moving forward after that. So I think maybe the lack of Batman in that scene had to do with setting up the uh, the Flash Robert movie. Pattinson. The thing with the Batman is it's not part of the DC extended universe. It's its own side universe. It's its own else world, as they say. Sort of like, like Joker. Uh, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker was its own little universe apart from this, you know, sort of Marvel style extended universe that DC is developing. And so I think that's one of the reasons why those characters were deleted at the end. And quite honestly, I didn't necessarily miss them. I mean, there were a couple no. of reverse shots where you saw a pair of headlights in the background, which could have been the headlights of the Batmobile. So I kind yeah. of recognize, well, uh, let's just imagine Batman's in that scene anyway. But yeah. I mean, as far as the overall vibe of, of Peacemaker, I, I was right there with you because I... I was not a John Cena fan going into the Suicide Squad or even then going into Peacemaker. And I was going into the Suicide Squad. I was very iffy on the notion of taking the piss out of superheroes. I was like, oh, that's easy. That's easy to do. Yeah. Sometimes it can be unfair. And sometimes it's just, you know, as a fan of these characters, as a, as a fan of these universes, I'm not really into the idea of taking the piss out of these characters. I, I like the idea of kind of taking them seriously. Not they don't have to be serious, but yeah. you should take them at least seriously as you know they exist in the world and here they are. And so I was concerned about James Gunn's approach because I felt that maybe he wouldn't take the characters seriously. And it kind of starts out that way in the Suicide Squad. Where he, yeah. just, he just annihilates a bunch of them right, oh, that was, right off that was the bat. Phenomenal. It was phenomenal. And it was amazing. And uh, he won me over quickly because yeah. I realized it wasn't just jokes at the expense of superheroes and their costumes and their powers and everything like that. That there was more depth to it and there was more uh, respect for the universe that they exist in. And as the movie went on, I fell in love more and more with it. I mean, I literally went from zero to 60 in the course mm -hmm. of that movie, be, you know, being really skeptical about James Gunn's approach in the DC universe to fully embracing it by the end of the Suicide Squad. And then when I watched the Peacemaker series, I almost started from the same place again. It was almost like a reset back to zero where I'm like, yeah. okay, well, let's see what this fucking thing is going to be. And they start out he with the dance routine and the song. And I'm like, huh, well, that's interesting. And then after a couple more episodes, I'm like, that is the greatest theme song that's ever been on television. And the dance number, I'm not, I'm not even really into dancing. And I'm like, God, I want to fucking learn that thing. I want to learn how to dance like that. I was hypnotized by that, that <laughs> yeah. opening credit sequence. I just thought it was like the best thing in the world. I don't I know. know why I kept, I swore, but I was just like, I, a lot of shows like the opening sequence, and that's a long opening sequence. A lot of times you'll fast forward through them or skip through them. Now that's like the option now with the, with the streamers. And I was like, nope, every time that sequence comes on, I want it from beginning to end. And then they brought the song back in that, that final fight scene too, yes, which was yes. so much fun too, mm -hmm. which just kind of like paid it all off. Right. And the great irony of that song by Wigwam, uh, do you really want to taste it or whatever it's called, that, <laughs> that song came out 20 years 
after the 80s were over. Just a little factoid about that song. It, it came out in 2010. And, okay, uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know where it came from. <laughs> yeah, and for the longest time, I thought, you know, I was really into, like, heavy metal and hair metal and all that shit in the late 80s. Oh, yeah. I don't remember Wigwam. I don't remember that song. And I'm, so like, racking my brain. To find out where it came from. Yeah, I looked it up, and it's like, oh, tw- uh, that's why. 2010. It was 20 years after the fucking 80s ended. So, yeah. uh, but still, perfect. Perfect for the tone. And, God... They made me fall in love with not only the Peacemaker character, but John Cena as an actor. I was yeah. surprised at how much depth he brought to the character. I've, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff where it's like, I know that he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. He's really good in comedies. Yeah. But um, I, I think Gunn saw something more in him. And I mean, James Gunn has said this. Mm-hmm. He saw something more in him. And that's what he really leaned into with this movie. Yeah. And, um, and, and, or the, not this movie, the show was like, it was his chance to like really turn John Cena into, you know, a leading man. Mm-hmm. And it, it worked 100%. And I'm, I'm like, I'm so on board for like another season of this now. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to like getting back together with these people and spending time with them again in the future. Oh, yeah. That's such a great point. Cause by the end, I wanted to be an 11th Street kid. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to join their club. Can I, can I yeah. please be part of Task Force X just to hang around with you people? Yeah. 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 And as I, and I think, I, I, sorry, I, I diverted a little bit from the, the point I was making with the, the different movies and stuff like that. Is like, I like what James Gunn was able to do with this corner of the DC universe. And I'm wondering if, I don't know, um, you know, Wonder Woman 80, you were talking about The Flash. Yeah. I don't. I don't know enough about the team behind the flash to know that that's going to set a tone for the flash corner mm-hmm. of the universe. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm in a very wait and see mode. I, the flash is like one of my favorite superheroes. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm really curious to see how they handle him and where they go with it. And it's, you know, you were talking about the, the, the concept of this movie is um, it's flashpoint, which I've read the entire flashpoint um, mm-hmm. comic book series. Yeah. And it's, and I think they're saying that, Wonder Woman and Aquaman might even make appearances in it now. Yes, yes, and maybe even pl- maybe even Cavill as Superman. That's what I've heard. Uh, you know, I haven't. I, I, that one I don't know about, but I know that in the um, in the Flashpoint, it was like the Amazons and the um, and um, Atlanteans are at war. Yeah, in the comic books, it's very grim. The Flashpoint story. So it's, I mean, you know. it, yeah. it's like into the world apocalyptic, <laughs> right? Like scenario. So it, so I'm. And it's curious because Wonder Woman 84 would have been set before what Barry does in Flashpoint is he goes back to when he's a kid. Yeah. And so for us, we're probably talking about like the late 90s, Mm -hmm. early 2000s, maybe even too, because Ezra Miller's not that old. Yeah. Yeah. He goes back to when he's a kid. He stops his mom from being killed and, um, and calamity ensues as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you, if you, Look at that. Wonder Woman, her movies, her solo movies have taken place outside that time or before that time. So her movies could still remain canon in this DC universe. Yeah. Um, and Aquaman, because his um, his movies are kind of, it, it's, it, it's, it's in its own world. So something that happens at the, on the surface world mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily affect him. Yes. And so it would, it, so I feel like, those are the only two franchises right now that seem to be successfully moving forward in the DC mm-hmm. extended universe. And yeah. so the, so flashpoint gives you a reset, but maintains 
their storylines intact, keeps their storylines intact, right. which I think is interesting in that. And I, I honestly think that if, if this, um, if the Batman does well, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if, if this does get world into the bigger uh, DC extended universe. Well, that's the thing about the DC extended universe now is that they're really, they're incorporating the multiverse. So in mm-hmm. a sense, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker exists in the same yes. universe, not in the same timeline, different timeline, but same yeah. universe, same with Robert Pattinson's Batman, different timeline, same universe. So there may be getting, some cross Michael Keaton, like you said, yeah, you know, yeah. And so that means Christopher Reeve's Superman exists, same universe, different timeline, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's it's really kind of fascinating. When that was first announced, I don't think there were any plans, and I'm not going to do this whole thing about who invented what, but I don't think there were any plans at that point, at least not publicly speaking, of a Marvel multiverse. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a, a while back when the DC multiverse first arose. And in fact, um, during the shooting of Justice League, there was a line spoken by, I think it's Desaad or something like that, that uh, Zack Snyder shot, where he talks about the, mo- no, no, it's uh, Steppenwolf that mentions the multiverse. Yeah. And so I think that's the first time you actually hear a reference to the multiverse. And I guess that was shot in whatever it was, 2016, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So that goes back quite a bit. Uh, as far as the establishment of that. And when they really made it official, when Warner Brothers and DC announced that the multiverse was going to be a part of this DC extended universe, that was kind of mind-blowing to to hear that and to know that, and I, I think it was around the same time they announced Michael Keaton as uh, returning as Batman, which was kind of stunning. I mean, this is the thing, when The Flash uh, comes out in November, this is uh, one of, you know, maybe three or four movies that I'm really seriously anticipating. And yeah. I'm not 100% convinced that they're going to hit a home run with it. Um, I'm, I'm the same. I, I'm, I'm hedging my bets on that one. It's, again, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. the, it's The Flash. He's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But what... Flashpoint is a major, major undertaking. Yeah, yeah. For a movie, and 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 this has been one of my one of my concerns with DC all along is like I I feel like they don't they don't lay the groundwork mm-hmm. for these for these big things. And and by the way, Fox was guilty of this with the X Men. Like I feel like they they biffed on Dark Phoenix twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. that's not Dark Phoenix is not a one movie. You have to build like Dark Phoenix has to build over the course of like several movies. Like mm-hmm. like Dark Phoenix is like an Avengers level movie where yeah. like everyone comes together on something. And Flashpoint is one of those ones where it's um you're you're rolling so many characters in, but you're going to be changing those characters in ways mm-hmm. that's going to make it really really hard. Um, it's it's a lot to it's a lot to bite off. So I, yeah. I I'm I'm hopeful that they can pull this off because I would like to see them use this as a way of resetting the universe in a way, so they can kind of like say like you know the Snyderverse existed and you know all these other things are a part of our universe, but we're going to move forward and this is the timeline that we are going to exist in. This is going to be our our Earth Prime. Well, my concern with the Flash is because No Way Home has been such a huge success and deservingly so. It's just a phenomenal yeah. film. Even if The Flash is, in a relative sense, a phenomenal DC extended universe film. I mean, you know, Michael Keaton's in it. There's going to be spectacle to it. We're going to see lots of additional superheroes in it, some established, maybe some new uh, some new faces. You know, yeah. as I said about uh, uh, the possibility of Supergirl in that uh, movie being introduced. And so my concern, though, is that even if it is a decent film, 
that it's going to get blasted by critics because it's not going to be anywhere near the amazing spectacle of uh, No Way Home. That it's No Way Home established such a precedent for, you know, a multiverse kind of meetup film yeah. that even Michael Keaton <laughs> showing up in the DC Extended Universe and being the new Batman moving forward from here, uh, also appearing in the Batgirl movie, which is going to be on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, that that's not going to be enough, and that critics are just going to ah well, it's not it's not Spider Man, so well, eh, let's give it a C plus or whatever it ends yeah. up being. It's going to be well, it's, 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 lots of big shoes to fill there. But part of what Spider Man did that was in fu- in some ways really really fun was they they built on the other Spider Man movies that we've we've had in the past, you know, the Garfield and the Maguire ones. Oh right, right, yeah, and 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 you know. I know the Garfield one's got a really bad rap. Mm-hmm. I liked the idea of him as Spider-Man. Uh, the Tobey Maguire ones were, you know, the first one was okay. The second one was a really good one. The third one was a mess again. Um, <laughs> but what they did with um, uh, No Way Home, Spider-Man No Way Home, was they kind of retconned and fixed those universes. Yes. And they pulled it all together. Like, I don't I don't see that happening the same way with the with Michael Keaton's Batman being in flash, it just seems like it's, 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 it's fan service and they, they, they have to nail bringing him in there. And I mean, like, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I don't know anything about it other than the fact that it's flashpoint every once in a while, you'll hear a little something come out about it. But mm-hmm. like, if Michael Keaton's still there, I would love to see, um, do you know who Terry McGinnis is? Uh, yeah, I recognize That's the name. Batman yeah. beyond. Oh, right, right, That's right. Batman. Yeah. Like if, if you're going to have an old man, Bruce Wayne, Give me Batman Beyond, who was the the Batman from the future. Yeah, in a, in a, in a it was an, it was an animated series that ran for a while too. You know, I I would love to see that. You know, mm-hmm. that come into play. I think that'd be a great way to to handle. You know, if you've got an older Bruce Wayne, you need a new Batman. Yeah, or exactly. You can be active as Batman. That's a way to do it. Because I um because actually in Flashpoint, in the comic book, it's not um Bruce Wayne. That's the Batman. It's, it's Thomas, Thomas Wayne. Wayne. Yep. And Bruce was killed in the in the alley as opposed to Thomas, and Thomas becomes the Batman, and Martha Wayne becomes Joker, becomes the Joker, she <laughs> which is a, mind. even a, a more incredible twist in the Flashpoint story. Yeah. That was a really, pardon my language, that was a fucked up moment when you like when you had this realization that oh wait, Martha's the Joker, and Thomas he won't finish her off because it's his wife and he's wanting mm-hmm. to save her still yeah, yeah. i mean it's, i mean emotional storyline for for crying out loud but i don't i don't i don't know how you do that and um that's a lot of that's a lot of because like in those in those comic book crossovers and you're familiar with comic books it's like mm-hmm. it's not just there's like there's like um, the main book and then every other book changes for that like the course of that crossover so like all the batman books were set in the Batman world where Thomas Wayne was the Batman. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they kind of like, they, they really, um, they get to explore so much more. Mm. So um, they're buying off a lot, but, but at the same time, when, when, when Marvel said they were going to do Captain America civil war, yeah. I was like, there's no fucking way. There's no way they can do <laughs> civil war. Yeah. And they nailed that one and they pulled it off because mm-hmm. it was, um, they were able to like, like pull the story down to like a core nugget of the story and still be true to it without having all of the branching off. And I mean, cause like the, 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 the civil war comic books, it was like when you added up all of like the crossovers and the side issues and all that stuff, it was like 137 books. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, it was like, it was not a small undertaking by any means. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's kind of what, um, flashpoint was as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have you seen anything about, uh, black Adam? The only thing I saw was when they talked about it um, during the, the DC fandom event, which was, yeah. I want to say back in October. So it's, I haven't seen anything new about that. When does, when does that come out? Oh, fuck. That's a good question. I, I want to say like July or something along those lines. Okay. I wasn't sure on the timing for that one for when it comes out. I'm curious because it's, um, it's, it's really interesting in the, um, the Justice League comment comic books right now they are kind of realigning black adam because he's always been a bad guy um but he's uh he's the the leader of a middle east country um kandahar or kandak i think is what's called in the comic books but um in the in the comic books they've made black adam part of the justice league by the way, there's so, a our building is testing the fire alarms. So, so there's I can a fire. Hear, I, I was like, I thought I heard alarm. something. Yeah, yeah. So please keep talking as I turn down my mic while this fire alarm gets sorted out. <laughs> no worries. No, I, no. I was gonna say was though in the comic books they've made uh, Black Adam a part of the Justice, the main Justice League team, mm -hmm. and it's the idea is that we need a more diverse group of opinions. It's been, it's been us, you know, us five for too long. Yeah. And they brought in a uh, black Adam and then they brought in um, Naomi, who is uh, a CW show right now. Mm -hmm. um, so they're they're So they're trying to like it. And that's something that Marvel's done too. You know, they've, they've, they've diversified uh, their teams. I and, mean, you know, we've got, now we've got our black captain America, Sam Wilson. Yeah. And um, in Thor love and thunder, we're going to get uh, the female Thor. Right. And um, what other ones are coming up right now? I'm, I'm there. Um, oh, Armor Wars is going to be a um, one of the Disney Plus series, and that's going to kind of like follow the, the who's going to be the new Iron Man, and it's it's a, a young uh, black girl named Riri Williams. Wow. Okay, I had so, no idea there was a show called Armor Wars coming up. How did I miss that? Well, that's that. It went. It's down the. It's down the road a ways. Okay. But we've kind of seen some allusions to that um, from the from the the pieces that they've been dropping in the Marvel movies. Is um, she's going to be? There's rumors that she's going to appear in Wakanda Forever, which comes out this November. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, and they're saying that they the way they may work her into the Marvel universe is that remember there was the the Wakandan outreach centers that were being developed at the end of um, Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Whether we're going to start educating people and stuff like that. Oh, right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they're saying that, that, that everyone's thinking that Riri, Riri Williams might show up in in that movie in that capacity somehow. Like she's one of these people, one of these young geniuses who's been admitted into their um, education centers or their, mm -hmm. their outreach centers. Yeah. Um, and the concept is is that the Iron Man technology gets loose and people start reverse engineering it and making their own Iron Man. That's, that's, that, that's the concept for armor wars. And we saw that in, um, in Spider-Man no way home. Remember they did the, at the very beginning, it was a small moment, but they did a big raid on Stark industries. And there was all those trucks carting out all the Stark technology. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Hawkeye got his hands on some Stark technology arrowheads, didn't he? In Hawkeye? Yes. Yeah. 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 He, he, yeah. I, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. He, I, maybe he did, but he also had some PIM technology as well. He had, he had PIM technology for sure. Yeah. I think he did have Stark tech as okay. well. All right. Gotcha. So it all kind of fits together. And, um, and, and speaking of Hawkeye, I don't know if you noticed when, um, when you watched Spider-Man No Way Home, did you notice that there were um, billboards for Rogers the musical? Yes, I, I city, did notice in that in New York City for Roger, for um for Spider-Man No Way Home. So I did like that little like, you know, cross-pollination thing because like at the end of it, Spider-Man's swinging around New York at 
at Christmas time, which is when Hawkeye was taking place. Yeah. And then you had the additional crossover in No Way Home with uh, Charlie Cox showing up as uh, Matt Murdock slash Daredevil, which was which I know you that you lost yeah. your mind over that one because you hadn't watched the Netflix series. I hadn't. No, I, I didn't really regard it as even a thing that was worth watching. And then because of Hawkeye. Uh, I started watching it and I'm like, oh my God, where the fuck has this been all this time? Yeah. I was shocked by the tone of it. I had no idea that Marvel had it in them to do a show that was not only gritty, but fucking bloody and violent. Yeah. The way that is, in fact, maybe no, that's, didn't you tell me that Kevin Feige was a little concerned about the TV Marvel shows because they were too violent? Is that what, maybe you said that to me. I'm not sure. That was, that was kind of, I don't know if I said that, but that was kind of like, they, they, they kind of, they put them in their own box over uh -huh. on the side and it still was in the Marvel world. I mean, they, they alluded to, you know, hell's kitchen and what happened um, during the events, of the Avengers. So it wasn't like it was excluding itself, yeah. but they were definitely kind of like put in their own little corner. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll be, I'll be curious to see how they, you know, bring that all back together in the, in the greater DC universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really. Not DC universe, I'm sorry. Marvel universe. Right. Right. And, and, here's and if my... you haven't watched, I think they pulled all those shows from the Netflix, by the way. Yes, they did. Yeah. They'll be appearing on Disney know. Plus pretty soon, I think. Okay. Yeah. Which oh, is, which is sure fascinating that, that Disney Plus is going to host shows with that level of <laughs> of blood in them, which is interesting. Um, I kind of expected them to to move them over to Hulu, to be honest with you, because yeah. Disney owns Hulu. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, God, I completely forgot about that. That'd be a smart way to do it. And if you haven't watched it yet, um, Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which was the, the, yeah. that's the one that fought that came out. I, Daredevil was the first and Jessica Jones was the second one. Yeah. Um, the first season of Jessica Jones was so good. I would say even see if you could get Kimberly to watch it with you. Okay. <laughs> that's going to be a tough haul. I, I Dylan want, watched. Yeah. Dylan watched Jessica Jones with me and enjoyed it, but it's also because it doesn't like Daredevil doesn't feel much like a Marvel right show mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and jessica jones even less so because she's not it's like her powers are she's stronger mm -hmm. and she's slightly you know invulnerable but not really invulnerable because she can still get the shit beat out of her yeah but she's like she's just a little bit better than you and me mm -hmm. and um and and the bad guy in in um in jessica jones is one of the scariest bad guys i feel like we've we've seen scariest and sadistic bad guys we've seen in the marvel universe yeah, and the, speaking of bad guys, so glad to see Vincent D'Onofrio back as uh, yeah. as Kingpin. Just talk about another bit of perfect casting. Holy shit. Just the yeah. perfect actor for that role. I don't see anyone else <laughs> stepping in. I mean, Michael Clark Duncan was really good in the uh, Ben Affleck Daredevil. Yeah. Maybe the best thing about that particular movie. Uh, but this is hands down a comic accurate start. <laughs> you could start there. And he's a great actor, too. Yeah. So I, I want to see more of that. I want to know whether or not he's been blinded or killed at the end of Hawkeye. Who the hell knows? But here's my thing with Marvel right now, Travis, and um, maybe you can enlighten me on this. I feel like with, what are we in, phase four now with Marvel? Yeah, we're still we're in still phase in four. Phase, it feels like there's still a lot of setup going on. A lot of new puzzle pieces put into place, but I'm not quite seeing the overall 
picture yet where there was setup of the multiverse in Loki. There's going to be more setup of the multiverse. Uh, obviously, it was in uh, Spider-Man as well. Also, Doctor Strange 2 is going to have a ton mm-hmm. of multiverse things in there as well. So we're getting a lot of the broader universal ideas being established. Some of the more grounded ideas being established in shows like Hawkeye and uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, oh, I almost forgot who, uh, what if I almost said who is, <laughs> what if, who, what, when, where, why, if, yeah, what, what if being another multiverse series. So there were, I think Marvel is setting up all of these multiverse stories as kind of a primer for general audiences, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I, we know this is going to be confusing for everybody, this idea of a multiverse where you can bring in all these different timelines. It's very Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think a lot of lay people might have trouble wrapping their brains around some of these things. So I get the sense that they're really trying, they're going out of their way to explain what the multiverse is and how it comes about, how all these timelines get twisted in together. But I'm waiting for that bigger picture to get established, where we're going with this. Where in the first uh, generation or the, the, the Endgame saga, um, you had a sense that the, the big bad guy all along was going to be Thanos. They were really establishing yeah. that early on. So we got little, you know, kind of mile markers along those lines. What I'm not getting is where this current storyline with the multiverse is going to lead us. Do you have any sense of that? I'm I'm feeling my way around it right yeah. now, kind of like you are. But um, just part of what I think helps me is because I am reading the comic books as well. Storylines tend to come up, and it's like, oh, we should take note of this person. Like I, mm-hmm. um, you know, Moon Knight is um, the next Disney oh, show. Oh yeah, to draw. yeah. And it's really a character I know very very little about, mm-hmm. but he's been showing up. There was an Avengers crossover storyline where Moon Knight was heavily involved and it was, um, you know, he kind of went mad as the, the moon God. Yeah. Um, and you end up in a sideways world and, um, they just, there's a, um, another one that's running right now. Um, a, a Kang, the conqueror. Who I'm gonna, that, oh yeah. Kang yeah. is Kang is they've, they've said that Kang is the next big bad in the Marvel universe. Yes. Yes. And Kang is a time traveling, uh, villain who, um, it, it seems that, um, well, they've already said that, um, I'm blanking on the actor's name, um, Jonathan Major. Yes. Who we Thank saw you. at the end of Loki mm-hmm. um, is Kang. And so there, so we, we've, we've already got our first glimpse of Kang, but I don't think that's the, I don't think he's the bad guy version that we're going to be dealing with mm-hmm. when right. all this comes to pass. But anyways, in the King limited series, they're running in Marvel right now. He has a crossover where he's dealing with um, the um, moon Knight, mm-hmm. but in um, uh, back in the ancient Egypt times. Yeah. Right. Right. So there, uh, so I, th- so I think what we're heading towards is a combination of Kang, the conqueror, who is this time traveling menace. And we saw the timelines break. And Jonathan Majors told us that all of his different versions of himself were fighting. And he got it, he one by one eliminated and got us down to this one timeline, the sacred mm-hmm. timeline that he's in. And he said, there are other worse people than me out there. And so I think that the king that we're, that we're heading towards is, a, is one of these alternate kings that 
you know, is now back out there because they broke the timeline Well, the, or, bro- or broke the universe. I should say broke the multiverse. And by the way, a second ago, I called it the Endgame saga. I meant the Infinity saga, which is the, yeah. the first big chunk of whatever it was, 22 different movies. Yeah. Um, I knew what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That was just a, a dumb derp. You know, the problem is I never talk about this out loud because I have really yeah. no one to talk about it with other than you and a couple of other friends and only seldom do we get together to actually discuss it. So whenever I say these things out loud, I'm usually saying them for the first time, like the phrase, the infinity saga. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I've ever muttered that phrase out loud, read it a million times. So my only concern is that the infinity saga was established in a way that I think was uh, was reachable, that was accessible by mm-hmm. general audiences. My only concern with the Marvel Universe, sort of pivoting off of what I said a second ago, is that the multiverse and all of the myriad characters and variants and so on might start to get a little convoluted and confusing for general audiences. And I wonder if that's going to somehow affect Marvel's uh, box office at all, or if people who are just really into the ongoing soap operatic nature of the episodic nature of all these movies are going to carry them. So it's a, uh, it's difficult to know. I, I have no idea how that's going to work out in the end uh, with general audiences. I mean, so far so good, I guess. I mean, <laughs> no way home yeah. was a gigantic success. Right. So it's uh it's hard to say. Well, um, I mean, like when you're talking about the multiverse, like when you, when you, like if you look at like the infinity saga, we didn't really understand like maybe if you were like a little more steeped in nerd culture you know we noticed that like when an infinity stone would show up yeah and we knew what an infinity stone was and what that meant Mm -hmm. and you know we didn't really see our first infinity stone correct me if i'm wrong until i'm trying to think um i think the first one we saw was going to be in um well the tesseract the tesseract yeah of course was the first one we saw with Captain America. The second Infinity Stone we saw was the one that was in Loki's staff, which yeah, we that didn't was get to until Avengers. Avengers, right. Um, and then in Thor 2, the Dark World, the Aether, yeah. was one of the Infinity Stones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Guardians uh, of the Galaxy. Doctor Strange, the, yeah. Yeah, Doctor Strange was, I think that was like one of the last ones we saw was the Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. And then, and then the only other one that didn't that we hadn't seen was the Soul Stone, which is what we what what was a big part of um, uh, Infinity War w- mm-hmm. when we had that great scene with Black Widow and Hawkeye. Yeah, right. Well, you know, well, fighting for who was going to be the who was going to sacrifice to get that stone, or no, that was in um, that was in Endgame. Um, yeah, he pushed Gamora. He Thanos uh, sacrificed Gamora. Yes, exactly, exactly. In Infinity right. War to get the Soul Stone. But with the, the first Avengers movie, though, uh, did something that was, I think, strategically and in terms of storytelling, a very smart thing to do, which is to bring all of the characters in together to let audiences know, okay, these are the characters we're going to be focusing on. Everything that you see from this point forward is more or less going to pivot around uh, whatever it is, these six Avengers. And mm-hmm. um, we haven't, I don't get a sense that there is another team up movie uh, anywhere in the near future. Yeah. I think I, one of the things that I feel like one of the pieces that people keep bringing up is um, secret wars. Mm-hmm. Which is where, yeah. like, it's it's where like the multiverses kind of start to collapse, and they have to like fight it out for survival of the multiverse, or like, which wow. if, if your universe is going to survive. And I'm wondering if if we're getting the pieces of that because I mean, like, so we've got. I I, I feel like we're going to get a much better idea of the um, 
of what's going on with the multiverse and Dr. Strange, which is coming yeah. up uh, just a couple months away now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, um, and what everyone seems to be pointing at is that, that scene that we saw, which also is going to probably like blow some people's minds out of the water. Um, you heard professor Xavier, you heard Patrick Stewart yeah, in that Dr. Strange trailer. And it was in this room and there were six chairs there. And in the comic books, there's a group called the Illuminati. Yep. And they are the ones who are kind of overseeing and trying to maintain the stability of the multiverse as it's collapsing. Wow. And I'm wondering, and in the comic books, it was a, um, it was, it was all like set in one universe, the, mm-hmm. um, the Illuminati. But for the movies, I'm wondering if we're going to get an Illuminati that consists of like Patrick Stewart's Professor Xavier, you know, and are we going to get maybe a Captain Carter from What If? Yeah, and whoever they you introduce know? as uh, Reed Richards, I think is also, right. he's part of the Illuminati as well. And uh, Yes, so I feel like we could be getting a bunch of those things. And I and I felt like the, um, even the, um, in um, Shang-Chi, which I've, you've seen that one now. Oh yeah. You? Yeah. I loved it. The, um, the end credits of Shang-Chi, they're like, we're getting a signal, but it's from like the beginning of the universe mm-hmm. in, in the, um, in the secret wars. Um, the most recent version of secret wars they did in the Marvel comic books, it ends with the fantastic four is at the beginning of the multiverse. And they're literally creating Franklin Richards, uh, Reed Richards son is creating a new multi creating the multiverse. And like, <laughs> imagining throwing out new worlds or new timelines and stuff like that yeah so that 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 signal from the beginning of time and shang chi i'm wondering if that's what that was Mm -hmm. if that's going to tie into the the fantastic four at all and king the conqueror is a descendant of reed richards uh i didn't know that A, a variant of kang the conqueror is a, uh, is a, well, no, King the Conqueror himself is, um, I believe it's Nathaniel Richards. He's like Reed Richards, like from like the 31st century. Oh, okay. I see. So like way, way, <laughs> way down the line. Yeah. A lot yeah. of years down the line. So it would be interesting if it is like, you know, you if, if what we're getting to is that we had the Fantastic Four at the beginning of time and King the Conqueror at the end of time, and it's one family. Okay. We're going to take one last short break back with more Travis Bone right after these words. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Are they going to establish Reed Richards as the new Tony Stark? Uh, Not only from a storytelling point of view, but from the perspective of casting, where, in a sense, Robert Downey Jr. carried the Infinity Saga as the central character, as the guy who kind of uh, called a lot of the shots, uh, made a lot of decisions. Uh, But in terms of audience perception, was kind of like the main guy. Like Iron Man became the central figure in this ongoing film saga. We, you know, obviously reoccurring roles coming back as in, in cameos and movies that he wasn't necessarily featured in. Who's going to be the Robert Downey Jr. for this next saga? And 
you know, I would never want to be Kevin Feige to have to cast <laughs> the, the the role of Reed Richards, expecting yeah. that it probably is going to be Reed Richards. But who is going to have that Robert Downey Jr. gravitas to be able to pull it off? That's the big question. Yeah, no, you're right. It's um, I, I it does because I I am like you. It doesn't. I don't feel like we've coalesced around a core team yet. Yes, exactly. And there's not that we don't have an anchor. Right now, because I, right. I, the, the closest thing we have to an anchor right now, I'd say, is um, Doctor Strange. Yeah, or Spider-Man, but... Yeah, but spider I don't, I don't think Spider-Man will be. I think Spider-Man's going to be off in his own uh, multiverse dealing yeah. with stuff for right. a while. Um, so it, it does make sense that, you know, when we can get, um, you know, a Reed Richards on the table... Mm-hmm. And, you know, and maybe we're going to get a taste of that in this uh, with this Illuminati that we're going to see in the um, in the multiverse of madness. But we do we do need that anchor, like you said, we don't because we don't have like we're not. And there was something that came out recently and I I, I bookmarked it and they were talking about where Marvel is and they they had broken the universe up into um, chunks. (laughs) And they were saying there's like there's like the street level. Yeah, which is yeah. where your 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 Hawkeyes Hawkeye. and um, uh, Yelena, the who I guess is going to be our new Black Widow and uh, Shang Chi, you know, Daredevil would fall into that category. Falcon Winter Soldier, I think, is in that category. Falcon Winter too. Soldier's yeah. in that category, and then um, there's like the cosmic ones, which is going to be like your Thor and um, the Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, space and, magic, uh, yeah, and Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, so and then there and they, they and they even put in a. Um, uh, um, and then there's like the magical side of stuff where you're going to have your, like your Dr. Strange, you're going to have, um, Moon Knight is going to be in that realm. Um, yeah. Blade and whatever's going on with the Black Knight from the Eternals. The Eternals will be in the, the, the um, the, um, the cosmic yes, side of things. Exactly. What did you think um, of the, but, what did you think of the Eternals real quick? Okay. Have you watched it? Yes. Okay. All right. Then I could, it's, it's, it's so much easier to talk about with somebody who's seen it. <laughs> yeah. um, I under uh, the Eternals they bit off a lot and i think in some ways they bit off more than they could chew yeah with that because but i also i loved the commentary about humanity and what makes this world special mm-hmm. and them falling in love with this world and caring about this world yeah um so i i, I would not call it a perfect movie at all but i really 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 I, it, it felt special to me and it felt unique in its own way because it was like it was it was not your typical superhero movie for sure. Well, I, as you know, um, I, I love the uh, the Zack Snyder movies, and in a sense, this was a Marvel Zack Snyder movie. Um, yeah, it, it took itself seriously. It took the characters seriously. There were jokes in it, but not a whole lot of jokes. Not the same number of jokes that you would expect in a typical Marvel movie. But overall, I I, I thought it was great. I thought it looked beautiful. I mean, it was a really <laughs> Nice movie to look at. And I always like uh, really effective cinematography, doing a nice job with visual effects as well, which, by the way, I'm also looking forward to the visual effects in uh, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, uh, because I know the visual effects supervisor on that one. And he always, the same visual effects supervisor who did the first Avengers movie, who did the, uh, I want to say the second Iron Man movie, uh, who's done, uh, oh, he also did uh, um, uh, Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay. So, yeah. So it's an established Marvel guy. Um, he won the uh, Oscar for The Matrix back in the day. Okay. And so. Yeah, no, it's going to be, I mean, like, I, the, Dr. Strange, the, the first Dr. Strange was gorgeous. Yeah. 
map to look at. Yeah. So I have no doubt that this one's going to be that same way. And we got a little, we got some taste of that in, um, right. in, uh, no way home even too. And and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the time now and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm keeping, keeping Travis for a really long time, but we have, we got to talk about star Wars just real quick before I let you go. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay, good, good, good. So you started out hate watching the book of Boba Fett. Please elaborate on uh, <laughs> what your take was on uh, the Boba Fett series on Disney. You know? Okay. So I'm, I'm going to be like, this is um, one of these like, things about me is I never got what the big deal was with Boba Fett. Okay. Like going back to the, going back to the original star Wars movies, you know, growing up as a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like, well, he's this guy who shows up in, in empire strikes back, but he didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, like he's not the one who captured Han Solo. Right. You know, he's not the one, like he just picked him up and took him back. Well, he led the empire to Han Solo. I think, uh, didn't but, Boba Fett follow the Falcon out of the garbage dump at the back end of the uh, Star Destroyer? Yes. Uh, once again, I'm saying things I've never said out loud before, but you know what I mean. Yeah. No, but but I didn't, like, I didn't, I, I like, to me, like, everyone's like, oh, Boba Fett's a badass. It's like, oh, well, Boba had a really freaking cool costume. Yeah. <laughs> but we never, like, saw him really do anything, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was kind of, like, Boba Fett's one of those characters where it's like, we really know nothing about him because he never has dialogue, really. He just stands there. He says a few words every now and then. But yeah, he, like, he wasn't somebody that I, I didn't, it's like, yeah, he's a badass. Right. I get it. Right. But he was never something. So um, Book of Boba Fett, you know, decided we're going to make something out of this character. And we got like some tastes of him in Mandalorian. And that he was like, there was like, you know, the person underneath the hood. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until, you know, the the Book of Boba Fett where we're like, we focused in on. And it was like, yeah, it was great to see how he got the Sarlacc pit. Appreciate that. Um, But then like the meandering around the desert and it just, it just felt like, I don't know. Like I, I didn't, I, I got what they were trying to do, but it just wasn't working for me. And then it kind of, it was also when it was operating in like two different timelines. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it, it just, it just felt really, really sloppy. And it wasn't until we locked into the present day timeline that it got interesting. Right. And right. When it got really interesting was when, when it was the episode, the first episode of Mandalorian season three is, <laughs> is what I call it. The episode where it was just literally the Mandalorian for an entire episode. Yeah. And, and that sort of brings me to what I think the mistake was in the book of Boba Fett. And I will preface by saying that I, I enjoyed it from the very beginning, um, especially episode two, where they do that big uh, attack on that uh, train carrying the spice, which is an amazing action sequence. Plus you had, oh, that, no. it, you had it was that a great sequence, but like story wise, it was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, I got that they were telling a backstory about how he became the man that he is now that we know, Mm -hmm. but it just, anyways, go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I I was just going to say that to me, the mistake was not referring to the book of Boba Fett as the sidebar to the Mandalorian that it actually is. So the title of the series should have been the Mandalorian colon, the book of Boba Fett. Right. Because it really is about, um, okay, we've established Boba Fett in The Mandalorian Season 2. 
Here's a little bit more about Boba Fett and what becomes of him after the events of rescuing Grogu, uh, delivering him to Luke Skywalker, and then what? And that's where the book of Boba Fett comes in. Oh, and bonus, we can describe how he escaped from the Sarlacc pit, uh, what happened to him after that, and uh, you know how that changed him as a, as a person, as a bounty hunter, and so on. How, how those events after the Sarlacc altered his perception of the universe and his role in it. And so that's where he, you know, we learn about the uh, sand people a little more and their culture and, you know, their relationship with the other inhabitants of Tatooine and so on. And then the uh, Mandalorian story comes back in. And I think a lot of people were shocked by that going, wait a minute, is this the same show? Did this suddenly, did we suddenly travel through time and land on Mandalorian season three? Well, the thing is that the book of Boba Fett is really a continuation of the Mandalorian story. So in that sense, that kind of made sense to me. Like, okay, reminder, you know, maybe they introduced the reunion of Din Djarin and Grogu too soon. Maybe we should have had a little bit more of a quest or a little bit more of a question mark left open there. I just kind of chalk that up to Disney wanting to make sure that it had all of its bases covered with one of its most marketable characters now. I mean, Grogu, that little puppet saved Star Wars. The Mandalorian, uh, John Favreau, Dave Filoni saved Star Wars. Not only with yeah. Din Djarin, not only with that storytelling, but Grogu is like the central character. So to <laughs> to write yourself into a corner like they did at the end of season two, I think Disney may have been like, okay, we got to get Grogu back in because this guy, this character is the future of Star Wars. So, yeah. And I think that's where he ended up coming back in in those two, uh, whatever it was, episodes five and six, I believe. And yeah. so that, that's kind of how I was looking at, uh, at Boba Fett. I, I certainly understand some of the, the gripes about it. I, I don't necessarily agree, but uh, I, I tend to be, I mean, more so than DC, more so than Marvel. I'm more, much more so than Batman even. And I'm a huge Batman fan, as everyone knows. I'm right. really into Star Wars. And no, right I'm, now I feel like Filoni and Favreau can do no wrong. I'm 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 into it too, and I like I, said, I just I just felt like they stumbled a little bit with the, the with the structure and the backstory, and, and yeah, because at first it was like we're getting this backstory, but we're we've also got this weird storyline going on in the present day with the uh, the new cantina and mm-hmm. the spice trade, yeah, and it was kind of like I don't know what I don't know what I'm supposed to be paying attention to here. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, I felt like we weren't getting enough of the present day to really know where that story was going until like it kind of kicked in at the end. And with like some the of the spice trade and stuff, just and I was like, I was like, and I just saw Dune, and there was like spice on a desert planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it was just kind of like I, I liked where we ended up at. Mm-hmm. It was just the <laughs> route of getting there. Yeah, they stumbled. Yeah. They stumbled. They stumbled along at the beginning of it, and mm-hmm. I, and it was, and I, and I, and I think part of it is because Boba Fett is this character that everyone loves and thinks is like, oh, he's the best badass character there is or ever is, and I've ever been in the Star Wars universe. But we've never really explored Boba Fett mm-hmm. to know anything about him. Yeah, yeah. And what? I think that was like the hard part of this series is like, oh, we've got to humanize this character now. Yeah, and I think it was kind of unexpected. I think everyone wanted to uh, see Boba Fett continuing on in his adventures as a bounty hunter, as a ruthless killer, and so on. And when it became this kind of character study, 
where Boba Fett was growing as a character. I mean, the first four episodes of that series was Boba Fett's growth from being a, a bounty hunter who was left for dead to being um, a leader of people. And that was a, you know, that was kind of a journey. And I, I understand the reference as far as switching back and forth with, you know, the flashbacks versus present day. I imagine that as John Favreau, Dave Filoni doing their Godfather Part Two. The flashbacks yeah. were kind of like the Vito Corleone story that was interwoven into The Godfather Part Two. Okay. And so maybe that was it. But here's, here's the thing about Star Wars, and we'll, we'll leave on this note. I'm concerned that I think fans are expecting some sort of major spectacle with every episode of everything that Star Wars does now. I think Star Wars has an expectations problem. And when you don't provide that fan service now... As maybe, you know, like the first four episodes of Boba Fett didn't really do. I mean, other than the es escape from the Sarlacc pit, there wasn't a whole lot of fan service in those first four episodes. And I think when you compare it to the unbelievable spectacle of episode six, where you have a photorealistic, perfectly human-looking Mark Hamill suddenly yeah. uh, 28 years old again, as Luke Skywalker, not looking CG, looking entirely realistic. Solid. Interacting yeah. with this character that even Kimberly loves, and she doesn't even watch this shit. She, she's in yeah. love with, everyone's in love with Grogu. Uh, who, how can you not? Yes, and so that sets the bar so high that the character-driven stuff is kind of like, meh. It's kind of like the cereal in Lucky Charms. Everyone's into the marshmallows in the Lucky Charms, but the cereal is just like there. You know, you kind of get through the cereal as just a conveyance for the marshmallows. And I feel like maybe Star Wars, through uh, pumping in a lot of this fan service, which admittedly I love to see, uh, I love it when I see, my God, Boba Fett riding a fucking Rancor fighting Cad Bane. Jesus yeah. Christ, talk about, I'm there. talk about a nerdgasm for someone like yeah. me. Um, but I think I feel like a lot of Star Wars fanboys, and we all know the maxim goes: the, the people who hate Star Wars the most are Star Wars fans. Um, yes, I feel like now, uh, w when there's just good storytelling without the fan service, that's when fanboys get cranky, don't you think? Uh, yeah, but you know, like if you look back at like the, the season one of The Mandalorian, mm -hmm. that there there the only thing that was like fan servicey about that to me was the fact that we had baby Yoda. Right. Like it, it really did start its own thing, a new, a new direction. And it, it didn't rely on those cameos and those characters mm -hmm. so much. I know that, I know that um, <clears throat> Katie Sackhoff's character that showed up in season one is based on somebody from the, the, the Clone, Clone Wars, Wars yeah. series, but it wasn't, but it stood up on its own without that. Right. Like and I, I I would I would venture a guess that most people didn't know that that was a reference to the Clone Wars. And then when um, the John Carl Esposito shows up at the very end of the season, yes, Moff Gideon, the, yeah, as Moff Gideon with the dark saber, mm -hmm. which is again another Clone Wars, you know, reference point. I don't think that that it was it, like I think fans like me who hadn't watched Clone Wars. Yeah. We're still into it, mm -hmm. you know. It told its own story. In season two, they got a they 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 brought in a little bit more, like you said, the Clone Wars thing and Boba Fett showing up, and you know, it got a little bit more fan servicey. Um, 
I, 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 I think that there's so much room to explore in the Star Wars universe that there's plenty we can do here and there's plenty to, there's plenty to see that can still happen. Yeah. Um, I, I worry about if they have almost in a way boxed us in with the idea that we know that um, we're going to, we're in this, like this, the space that we're working is in is between return of the Jedi and the force awakens. Mm-hmm. And so we're boxed into a world where we know that the empire is rising again and the rebellion never really secured a new Republic. Yeah. Yeah. Foothold in the galaxy. So what, what is this world that we're going to explore, which I think is an interesting place to be, mm-hmm. but again, you're, you're boxed in, in a way that as we get closer to um, the force awakens, the, the direction we can go with the story gets smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't, I I'm, I'm really curious to, to know what we're going to explore right now, because I like the one thing I've, I've heard is people are saying like, you know, we keep the, the Mandalorian is that, um, um, Dindajaran or Grogu or, or Grogu. I, I think the Mandalorian is Grogu. I think yeah, the Mandalorian and the title of the series is going to be Grogu. I think Grogu, we're going to be 90 years old, Travis, and we're going to be seeing like Grogu series, Grogu movies, old Grogu, you know, Grogu, you know, backstory. And it's like, there's going to be, Star Wars is going to be the Grogu story from for the next 40 years, I think. Right. But also that also bring, raises the question then what, where, where is that going? Because yeah. Yeah. so are we going beyond um, the rise of Skywalker? Because like, remember Grogu's 50 years old. Mm-hmm. So Grogu was born, you know, around the time of Anakin doing his training. Yeah. If not before, I mean, Grogu's right. probably about the age of probably close to the same age as Anakin. He's around the same age as um, Ahsoka. I think Ahsoka was born um, just a few years after Grogu. So they're okay. generally the same age. About, you know, I think Ahsoka is in her 40s, uh, maybe late 40s, but about the same age that Rosario Dawson actually is in real life. And then um, Grogu's, yeah, about about 50. So 850 yeah. years more to go of, of right. Grogu's that's storytelling. That's, that's, yeah. that's the point I was trying to make is like, wait, so we've got it. So, I mean, you're going to have to jump beyond mm-hmm. rise of Skywalker yeah. for, to get them to adult Grogu. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's the other thing that I feel like is where's like, how, how long are we going to be able to like hang out with the child here? Right. Right. Well, you know, before we had to make a time jump and then that, and that means we lose our, you know, Jindadar and most of the characters that we know mm-hmm. from the Mandalorian and, and that era. So it's that's the part that I feel like is kind of weird about like the aging on Grogu and how we're gonna how we're gonna deal with all this. Yeah, I don't think they're looking to age Grogu that much in the foreseeable future. No, I think it's gonna no. be, still be the, you know the the little baby uh, version of Grogu, and then maybe 15, 20 years from now we're gonna start to get you know like old Grogu. Maybe the story of you know, when Din Djarin finally dies and they've got to say goodbye to each other and how fucking awful and tear-jerking that's going to be. We're going to see all that. Disney's not going to yeah. let that go. I, as I said... Oh, no, 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 not at all. Grogu is like the new R2 and C-3PO. Grogu is the new Darth Vader. Grogu is going to be the anchor of the Star Wars universe moving forward. Everything is going to be happening around him. Uh, just utterly fascinating. And, you know, just real quick, going back to what you're saying about the Mandalorian season one, um, 
I think there was fan service in those early episodes. I think the whole tone of the story and the visuals of the story. Oh, to me, when I first saw the Mandalorian premiere, I was like, oh, my God, this looks like it was shot concurrently with The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, photographically, it looked the same. Yeah, and, oh no, that part I yeah. I one hundred percent will give you that. Oh yeah, one hundred percent because it was it was, and and I think that's part of the reason why it worked was because it felt like it was like it lived in the world that we grew up knowing and yeah, loving. Yeah, absolutely. And and that was all we needed for the fan service. Yeah, yeah, and and so, but I think they kept trying to one up uh, themselves on fan service, where it began. Okay, what what do we do in this one? How, who can we bring back here? And again, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that that established sort of an expectations game. Whereas if there isn't that one-upsmanship in terms of, well, here's this reference, or do you remember that in this particular episode of whatever it might be? And yeah. it's just like, for example, with the Obi-Wan series coming up, uh, if there's an episode that may be sort of a quote unquote filler episode, you know, sort of those transitional episodes where it's just maybe Obi-Wan fighting some alien in Moss Eisley or whatever, uh, everyone's gonna be like, oh, what is this? Why are we watching this? <laughs> we we yeah. want to we want to see where's Vader. Let's bring in Qui-Gon where, you know, it's going to be like uh it's hard to please Star Wars fanboys. I agree 100 percent. This is yeah. um, the way I've always approached any of these things uh, as as a fanboy, mm-hmm. um, you know, like uh, talking about like it's easier for me to use like um, the two things that they're easy for me to use are like Marvel Comics and Transformers. Yeah, right. Um, like I, I grew up on Marvel comic books. I grew up on my Transformers. And what I like what Marvel has successfully been able to do, even like going back to like the X-Men movies is you can't tell a you can't tell the story from a comic book. Mm-hmm. You just, right. you can't recreate that in any way, shape or form. So they found a way to, to launch the X-Men in a way that felt true to the origins and true to the characters. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going to do this is, this is the, the, the movie version of it, you know, like in the comic books, you know, Cyclops and Jean Grey were not on the team with storm and rogue. Right. But we were okay with that. Like, I'm okay with that because that's what you need to do to build a story and to bring in these characters and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Wolverine wasn't around at that time either with, with Cyclops and Jean Grey. So it's like, I, I get the, the the building. And and like, even when you look at like the Marvel storylines have come out, like, you know, like Civil War is not the same as Civil War in the comic books. And Infinity War is not the same as, the, the, you know, the comic book version of it. It's like finding a way to grow and evolve. And Marvel has been able to do that without while still keeping the fanboys happy. Yeah, yeah. In a way, like, like for me, like I grew up on Transformers. I love Transformers. They have done a travesty <laughs> to those things. <laughs> you know, like was I like the first time I saw Optimus Prime transform on the big screen? I was like, wow. Yeah, that's cool. That's everything I wanted it to be. Did he look ugly? Yeah, he did. <laughs> but it, but it worked. Um, you know, in that first movie, just to get they they got that payoff, mm-hmm. but then it just fell apart because they just there was no there was no heart. And I think that Marvel's done that where they've kept the heart. Yeah. And DC's trying to figure out how to do that, I think, still. Mm-hmm. And they're hitting and missing on stuff. And I think with the Mandalorian, it's the first time they've like locked into that heart of the Star Wars franchise. Yeah. And it's not about the fanboys, it's about telling a good story. And if you're a fanboy, you have to be like, I appreciate, I'm glad that we're in that world that I can enjoy and I can spend time here again. And I, I think that that's, that's, that's something that, that fanboys need to manage your expectations because you can't, you can't recreate the magic and you can't 
you know, adapt what was in a comic book or a book or something like that. Mm -hmm. You just have to appreciate that. Is this true to the spirit of what they were doing? Yeah. Yeah. Before. And that's, and that's, that's where I think the Mandalorian was super, super successful. Um, Book of Boba Fett, you know, like I said, I I don't think it was perfect. I think that they pulled it together and they really turned something great out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll see what happens with Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, how, how are we going to, as, as long as they're true to that character and they're keep building pieces of this world. um, And something Dylan says, and you'll probably have thoughts on this too, is like, the movies used to, it used to be like, it was special. Like when yeah. you got a Star Wars movie, it was special. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, well, we had the first three and then we had our second three. And then, you know, just recently we've had, you know, um, oh my gosh, what was the prequel movie? Rogue One. Yeah. We had the three, um, the, 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 the sequels um, and then the, sequ- the solo the sequels, in there. Which, yeah. And then solo was in there too. So like you're, you're, it's not feeling as special. And now, you know, we've had three seasons of, or two seasons of Mandalorian and a Boba Fett. And now we've got Obi-Wan coming around the corner. It doesn't feel, it, it doesn't, it's not as special. Like we don't, we have more to complain about because we just, we're, well, we're getting it now on a regular basis. Do you get, yeah. does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying. This has been an ongoing uh, point of debate, I think among a lot of fans, which is that, uh, yeah, it was the, the standard operating procedure was at least three years or two or three years between movies so that it would yeah. build interest again. But, you know, I, I think ultimately, and when I find myself going down that road, uh, I kind of chalk it up to crotchety old man yelling at the kids to get off his lawn. Like it's, we're no longer in that world anymore. We're in a world of yeah. instant gratification where there are a thousand streaming services overtaking the thousands of cable networks and we can basically get whatever we want whenever we want. And there is, as long as there's a continued demand for these things. And it was touch and go in there. I mean, it goes back yeah. to what I was saying about Grogu, Favreau and Filoni saving fucking star wars i mean after solo and after rise of skywalker it was really touch and go there i mean obviously the mandalorian came out right at the same time as rise of skywalker uh i think right before it but needless to say if it hadn't been for the mandalorian being introduced i think you would have seen a lot of people jumping off of the uh star wars titanic at that point Um, no i i I totally agree with you but yeah but now there's that thirst there's that ongoing uh, demand for this stuff with new generations of viewers who didn't have to sit f- through three years of waiting for the Empire Strikes Back to come out in, uh, you know, starting in 1977 and having to wait till 80 or Return of the Jedi. Or I think in, in a sense, that long wait between Jedi and episode one uh, made us all love the Phantom Menace uh, more than I think we should have. <laughs> Correct. You know I mean, oh, yeah. it wasn't, no, it wasn't no, terrible, but my God. But that's where it's also a pump. I I, I put the focus back on the the artists and the creators is to not just churn it out. Yeah. Churn out something that's good. I mean, like the the, the best example of that, like as as far as like doing something that's good is going to go way off into left field here. But like when they did the Watchmen series on HBO. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was phenomenal. And they're Mm. like, we're not touching this again for a while unless we come up with something else that we like. Mm. But like that was... It was the Watchmen series was so good, and it was a follow up to a comic book a graphic novel that people loved so so much, and the, sure. the movie didn't really work. But I, I love that they were able to that they what they pulled off with um, 
with the Watchmen. It's like, you know, don't just make a Star Wars movie because you can mm-hmm. make it good. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, don't make a Star Wars store like TV show just because you can't. don't just churn them out. Give us something like really. And, and and I mean, that's one thing that Marvel's been really good at is like building that roadmap. And I, I know we're we're not quite sure where we're at right now because we're in a multiverse. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Marvel's been able to like maintain that, that world building. Yeah. Yeah. That, and it's been, and there's been consistency in that, which um, I, 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 I want Star Wars to do that. And I, and I, and I feel like right now it's the TV shows and I feel like it's, it kind of makes sense for Star Wars because like the, it was George Lucas's whole idea was like based off of the old Western serials. Mm-hmm, exactly. So it's like, so I think Star Wars really works in a TV space. Yeah, it has to be referential. They, yeah, there has to be some sort of- But they have of, to keep up their mm-hmm. their quality of the story. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is where I bristle at some of the critics of comic book movies, uh, certainly Star Wars looped into all of that as well. Uh, people like Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, who, you know, of course I respect both of them and I'm, I'm a huge fan of their work. But at the same time, I don't think they really understand what's going on in the comic book movie space in addition to basically funding Hollywood. I mean, let's let's mm-hmm. face it. I mean, look, if it wasn't for people going to these movies and demanding more of these movies, I assure you, Hollywood wouldn't be making the movies. Uh, right. So there is that audience demand. There is that audience hunger for it. But at the same time... There's a ton of amazing filmmakers who are cutting their teeth and coming up in the uh, industry through these movies and are being introduced to audiences through these films and who are doing innovative work, uh, whether it's some of the visual effects we're seeing introduced in The Mandalorian or some of the filmmakers who are emerging in the DC universe uh, or the Marvel universe, for that matter. There's some amazing filmmaking happening there. And I think by just writing it off as, well, these are just silly cartoon characters or comic book characters. Why should we pay attention to this shit? It's, It's all bullshit after all. Mm-hmm. That really sells those things short. Again, not only from a financial point of view, which is important for Hollywood to be able to spend money on Francis Ford Coppola movies, but also in terms of, uh, you know, you don't want to slag off some of these young filmmakers who are doing a really amazing uh, filmmaking in the, in the context of these movies. So it's just a, yeah. it seems really short-sighted to me. No, I agree 100%. Can you say anything about your podcast? Can, uh, can you talk um, about it? I am. I am working on. It. I've done two interviews for it. Um, I'm. I'm. Episode one is like I would say seventy five percent done. I want to do a third interview, and I'm waiting to talk to somebody about doing it. So it's going to be someone who might be kind of who's who. To, it would be special to me to get this person involved. So I'm not going to say anything more about that. But, um, <laughs> but the concept of it, and I'll tell you what the first episode is. I think okay. I alluded to it a little bit afterwards. Is what I'm doing is, um, and I've I've got a Twitter account, and I've got a website, and I. Got a snap or a, a Instagram account now for it. Um, it's called uh, Pod Culture to the Rescue, and it's going to be um, a podcast that looks at pop culture, um, using pop culture to look at things like a, like running political stories through a pop culture filter. That's the way I. Oh, it sounds like it, a great idea. Yeah. So the first episode, we we I, I kind of like baited you into a conversation about it on um, the last <laughs> time I did the interview with you when I brought up the uh, um, Captain America Civil War as an allegory for gun control. Right. Yep. So the first episode is going to be uh, based around that. And the second episode, I'm not going to say anything more, but it is going to be, um, it's going to be pulling from uh, the dark Knight. Oh, nice. And I would love it if you would be one of the people who is my interview for that, because um, I think this is going to be like really, really right in your wheelhouse based on um, 
politics and your love of Batman. Oh yeah. God, I'd love so, it. I'm so there. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that soon. Um, I'm, I, I said, I want to get this other interview done and get that first episode put together. I'm, I'm, and I'm building this as a season of shows where it's not going to, um, I'm going to get them all done before I release it. Well, I appreciate you hanging out for what seems like, you know, the last four hours now that we've been talking about this shit. It felt like 45 minutes to me, Bob. This uh, is me like- Me too. Me too. <laughs> Other than the fact that I had the Prince Stephanie show prep in about five minutes, oh, I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah. Well, get going. Uh, back to your real job. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much, Bob. I appreciate it. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.